Welcome to the Quillette Podcast. My name is Claire Lehman and I am Editor-in-Chief of Quillette. Quillette is where free thought lives. We are an independent grassroots platform for heterodox ideas and fearless commentary. Our podcast is a team effort and is jointly hosted by myself, Associate Editor Toby Young and Canadian Editor Jonathan Kay. You can support our podcast by visiting patreon.com forward slash Quillette and becoming a monthly patron. By becoming a monthly patron, you'll also receive our weekly newsletter. Welcome to the Quillette Podcast. I'm Jonathan Kay. Every industry on earth has been affected in some way by the coronavirus pandemic. And that includes the sex trade, which, by some estimates, is worth as much as $200 billion globally. In fact, there are a few businesses that depend so much on intimate contact between supplier and client. This week, I spoke with Nadia Guo, a Toronto-based lawyer and sex worker whom some listeners may remember from her acclaimed December 2019 Quillette article entitled, Ivory Tower Sex Work Activists Have Lost Touch with the Needs of Actual Sex Workers. Ms. Guo told me about the state of the industry, the effect of coronavirus, and her thoughts on the long-term fallout on the sex trade. Here are excerpts from our conversation, which, unfortunately, does contain a few glitches from when our Skype connection faded. Here in Canada, we're still all engaged in social distancing, and so doing this interview in person would have been impossible. Before we start talking specifically about coronavirus, let me just ask you about the baseline expectation that sex trade workers might have about how their health is considered by clients. Putting aside the issue of venereal disease, how much do sex trade workers think about things like ordinary influenza or, I don't know, meningitis, infectious diseases that are out there even when there's no pandemic? I would say that I'm always worried about things like that. And my peers, like the people that the sex workers that I know, are worried about their health a lot. I think that maybe some sex workers who are living more precariously or have a more chaotic life where they have other more pressing concerns like shelter, they might not even have a regular family doctor. It might be more difficult for them to access resources. It's hard for me to speak for the average sex worker because it's such a varied industry. What about the legal baseline? If somebody goes to another country and gets a serious infectious disease, do they have an obligation to disclose that to a sex worker? Well, if you look at HIV disclosure rules, that's the only real litigation that has happened around infections and whether you could sue someone for it or if there's like a legal remedy if someone gives you an infection. So with HIV, they've developed these rules. There is a case, I think it's called Mabier at the Supreme Court of Canada. After many other cases, lower court cases, they decided that you are not liable because they're balancing the privacy rights of the individual versus public safety rights. So they decided that you're not liable as long as you A, use a condom, and B, you're on antiretroviral drugs. But some activists, HIV activists, even think that's too much because if you're on antiviral drugs, there's a very low chance of passing it on. So there's still a lot of debate about that. People are more worried about HIV before because it's more like a death sentence or it's like something that's going to affect you for the rest of your life. Whereas the flu is something that we normally just get better from. I guess there's, there's a lot of different considerations into how much this illness is going to affect you, what kind of negligence is involved in passing it on. But also, is there any malicious intent? Do you know that you have it and then you're not disclosing it? Or 
did you just find out later that you were sick? One of the things that makes coronavirus so disturbing is that it's potentially, for many people, as deadly as a disease like AIDS, and yet it's as easy to transmit, or maybe even easier, than the standard flu. So it's sort of the worst of both worlds for many people. Let's talk a little bit about the state of the industry and compared that to two or three months ago. Is there a huge difference in supply and demand because of coronavirus? For in-person sex work, the demand has definitely gone down. But for online sex work, like camming or selling your underwear, like OnlyFans, you know what OnlyFans is? It's like a subscription service. Does that mean you don't have to leave your house? Yeah, you don't have to leave your house. You're just in front of a camera and you're talking to people online and then they can like tip you. Usually I think they tip you and then the website takes a cut. With OnlyFans, it's like an Instagram almost that somebody signs up on a monthly basis and then you can set your own subscription fee. It's almost like Patreon, I guess. You're making content and then you have like subscribers and then OnlyFans takes a cut and then you have to get in Canada $200 before they pay you out. So that's become like really popular after the coronavirus broke out. Like a lot of in-person sex workers moved on to that platform. This sounds essentially like live pornography more than... Yeah, some could be naked, but a lot of girls don't even post like naked photos. In the same way, ordinary white-collar businesses have moved toward Zoom video and Skype for their meetings, it sounds like, to some extent at least, the sex trade has moved to the digital equivalent of that. Yeah. Are people willing to pay the same level of money for digital services? No, I don't think so. If, unless you're like a really famous porn star or something, and you have like a lot of demand, you might charge a lot for like a private show. But generally, I would say it's definitely less, but you have a wider reach. So you can have way more subscribers from around the world. Some girls on OnlyFans making maybe not millions. So the word you're using, only, is that like O-N-L-Y? Yeah, O-N-L-Y-F-A-N-S. If you go on like Twitter and you start following sex workers, you'll see like every single girl has an OnlyFans now. And they link to it in their Twitter. That's how they market it, is through Twitter usually or Instagram. And they gather like free fans that way. And then they try to shift their fan base from that platform to a paid platform. There's general talk about how coronavirus is going to transform industries in ways that won't transform back when the pandemic is gone. So for instance, if you were buying stuff at your local mall... And now, of course, you're buying it from Amazon. Even when the pandemic is over, you're probably still going to stick to Amazon with a lot of your purchases. Do you think that will be the case with the sex trade? A lot of these changes that are happening, more digital technology and, and more solitude, it sounds like. Is that something that's going to be a, a larger feature of the landscape even when the pandemic goes away? Even before the pandemic came, it was already really popular to have all these online services as you see more of these platforms trying to move in on the sex industry. I don't think it's ever going to totally replace in-person sex work because there is just a quality of that that is different and not replicable with online sex work where you're separated by a screen. Sex is a very physical, intimate act and it's very hard to replicate that and be satisfied by what you're getting through a screen versus being with a person and seeing their reaction. Personally, I prefer in-person sex work to camming. It's just more personal to me and I like 
getting to know people in private because when you're online it's there's way more exposure you don't know if the person's recording it there's been leaks like with only fans and maybe this other website i think it's called my free cams there's been incidents where there have been these huge leaks of their servers and then all these girls got their content put onto pirate bay or whatever then you don't really have control over your content and that's a fear for every sex worker a short message from our commercial supporters at BetterHelp, an online counseling service that helps people become happier and more productive. By logging on at BetterHelp, you can connect with your professional licensed counselor in a safe and private online environment according to your own pace and schedule, using secure video or phone sessions, as well as online chat and text, and all without ever having to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. Some of the specialties of BetterHelp counselors include depression, anger, stress, anxiety, relationship problems, sleep trouble, and trauma. BetterHelp uses a network of 3,000 licensed therapists across all 50 U.S. states, and you can switch therapists at no charge to make sure you find the right fit. Financial aid is available for those who qualify. And of course, anything you share with the professionals at BetterHelp is strictly confidential. Quillette podcast listeners get 10% off their first month service by using the discount code Quillette. If you'd like to know more, please go to betterhelp.com, B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P slash Quillette. That's betterhelp.com slash Quillette. And now back to our podcast. There's obviously a debate on both sides of the political spectrum about the legitimacy of sex work, and I know you're no stranger to those debates. We're not going to get into those debates here, but I wanted to take stock of it because I know some listeners are going to expect me to challenge you on some of these points. But I guess one thing I, I will challenge you on a little bit is you talk about this intimacy that you can experience, but to the extent that that kind of intimacy is possible in a commercial transaction, isn't it much more difficult in the age of coronavirus where it's just another level of anxiety that people on both sides have during this transaction? Is it possible even to have a psychologically calm mood when both people are fearful of that sort of thing? I think it is possible. Like, I know there are people still doing in-person sex work right now. Maybe it's not the smartest thing, but a lot of sex workers are worried and desperate right now because their income just got cut off. So I don't really want to shame anyone who's doing it. And I think when it comes to the coronavirus, I've seen a lot of different reactions to it. Some people are very, very worried about it, but some people are just like going on as normal. When it comes to anxiety, I think that's like a personal reaction. We're getting into some murky legal areas here because governments have told everybody they have to go on lockdown and socially isolate. But if you're a sex worker and you're filing your taxes or whatever, in a way, are you admitting that you broke the law? Are you being forced to work under the table? I would say that if you're, if you're working right now and you're not an essential business, they put out those emergency orders. So you are breaking provincial laws, at least, if you're still working. So you have to work for cash, I guess. Oh, yeah. I mean, the most of the business is cash, if, unless you're doing it online. If you're doing it online, then it's going to be by credit card or maybe Bitcoin. But in-person sex work is like almost 100% cash. Maybe some of the agencies have credit card processing. But for independent sex workers that I know of, like nobody takes anything but cash. I've taken Bitcoin before, but only Bitcoin and cash. The legal regime in Canada, it's legal for sex trade workers to declare income and so forth. 
Are they then eligible for some of these government programs if they can't work? Like the new Canada Emergency Response Benefit, as it's called, for instance. Yeah, I think CERB, the eligibility requirements that you made $5,000 in the past 12 months, if I'm not mistaken. So that's for self-employed workers. And so a lot of sex workers would fall under that category. I know like a lot of sex workers do pay taxes. Yeah, I think they would be eligible. When you wrote that piece for Quillette, it was interesting to hear you talk about the effect that the migration to the digital marketplace has had. And one of the effects is that there's just been a lot more independence for people who are in the industry. They don't have to rely on pimps and that sort of thing. Do you see sex workers who are saying, hey, I'm still available, but only if you've been tested or only if you haven't left the country? I would say so. Not even just the rules, that the boundaries that sex workers are setting for themselves, but also, yeah, the tenor, like the style of the advertisements. Like you see a lot of, like if you remember um, those old ads, like those ads are so cheesy and you only had like a little square. So you had to like sex, sex, sex in like large letters or something. So I, I think it's gotten classier when when the girls are able to control their own marketing. You know, like millennials are obsessed with aesthetics and like Instagram worthy pictures. And you can be more you can be more tailored because you know yourself the best. So you can advertise yourself the best. But have they re-engineered some of those ads in response to concerns about coronavirus? Or is it the case that the people who are in that marketplace probably have already made the decision that they're going to put their concerns about coronavirus to one side. They would either say that they are still seeing clients or they're only doing online stuff. There's some kind of sex work that I guess if you wanted, you could do with masks on. Have you heard of sex workers who've been asked, you know, I want to get together, but we're going to modify our sex practices in a way? Yeah, like no kissing. In some ways, it, it is the opposite of what a lot of us are told in high school, that it, it is strange that a kiss can be a death sentence uh, you talked a little bit before about how different sex workers, they have different levels of privilege, just like everybody else. And I guess for some people who don't have other forms of income and are paycheck to paycheck every week, it's this is a really difficult time, just like it is for everyone else. Have you heard from some of those people and the kind of situation they're in? Did you see the Rosie DeMano article? She's a Toronto Star columnist. Yeah, she wrote in an op-ed about this sex worker that got a lot of backlash. She wasn't like insulting the sex worker in the article, but the tone of the way she wrote it and the phrases that she used, it really denigrated the subject of her article. The subject was a woman who was living in a hotel and she was really struggling, experiencing a lot of problems getting income right now. And she was behind on her hotel bill. I think she was living out of her car for a while. So it was just deep. The article is just detailing her struggles because of the pandemic. And then I think the last line was it, it quoted one of her online haters. And it I think the troll was like, Lisa, all she has is her pussy. And then Rosie was like, some women like Lisa, that's all they have. Everyone who read the article that I saw online, they hated it. There was so much outrage about it. Obviously, that's one example of a person who is struggling right now. I'm sure there are a lot of other sex workers who are in the same boat. It's time for a short message from Blinkist. If you're the type of person who reads Quillette and listens to the Quillette podcast, you also might be the sort of person who reads a lot of books. But like me, you probably never have enough time to read quite as many as you'd like. And that's where Blinkist comes in. Open the Blinkist app on your phone, tablet, or browser, and suddenly you're able to read or listen to expert 15-minute summaries of popular nonfiction books. 
For one low price, you get unlimited access to the entire Blinkist library. There are 12 million people using Blinkist. In my case, I listen to Blinkist when I walk my dog, which usually takes about 15 minutes. That's one whole book. Go through the Blinkist catalog and you'll find all sorts of big brain books like Upheaval by Jared Diamond and Sapiens by Yuel Noel Harari. But they've also got those business books you see in airport swivel racks, not to mention the Communist Manifesto by Marx and Engels, and of course, 12 Rules for Life by Jordan Peterson. In some cases, the Blinkist summary is just enough for me. Other times, I'm so interested that I go out and buy the book and read it cover to cover. Either way, thanks to Blinkist, I know which books deserve my time most. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash Quillette. Try it free for seven days and save 25% off your new subscription. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash Quillette to start your free seven-day trial at 25% off. And now, back to our podcast. I just said, one thing that was weird about that article, though, was that the woman said she made $200,000 in the last 18 months, which is a lot of money. So it would seem that you should be able to have some set aside if you're making that level of income. Yeah, well, I guess it doesn't matter what industry you're in. There is no limit to the amount of money people can spend and the short-sightedness of a lot of people's spending habits. That part doesn't change. But it's interesting what you were saying. You were talking about this woman's online haters. It's interesting because historically, sex workers have had to deal with the general stigma that comes from being in the sex trade. And maybe only the last couple of decades has that receded a little bit. But now sex workers have to deal with this same nuisance that everybody else has to deal with, which is the general hectoring and mobbing and trolling of the online world. Because I think, as you said, there's a lot of sex workers who uh, they have to have Twitter accounts or whatnot, because that's how they get clients. People in neighborhoods are now shaming each other based on, you know, if they post a Facebook picture that they're at a party or something, uh, they, they get attacked. Is that an issue right now in the age of coronavirus? Yeah, I would say so. Because in that article, the reason they were shaming her was because she was still working while the pandemic was going on. In the online forums, I've seen clients are like, oh, I'm going to make lists of the girls who are working right now, and then I'm going to make sure I never see them again. There is a lot of shaming. I don't think it's productive necessarily. You're a sex worker, but you're also a lawyer. In fact, we had to delay this interview because you had a court appearance on what sounds like a very serious issue. I have a friend who has a legal case and it's been set back a year because they can't get a court date because everything has to be done digitally. I'd be interested to know which of your two fields has been more severely disrupted? Probably sex work, I think, because, yeah, the trial dates are all pushed back, but bail courts are still running and I've been getting some bail work recently, more so than before. But I don't know if it's going to be like that forever. Do you have to appear in court in a mask? No, we did it through telephone. That's another thing. I really like the way everything is going with the courts right now, because before you'd, you'd have to attend set date court for like minor appearances. You'd have to drive to wherever and go in person and there was no way out of it. Now you can just call in and just do it from home. So I did my entire bail hearing. 
from home in my living room on the phone and then they would have like a conference ID and then everyone who needed to call into court would just call into that number and then we would just conduct it over the phone and it was like way easier. A lot of people in the legal industry have been noticing these adjustments our courts have been making and everyone's like, oh my god, I hope they keep this way forever because it's way more convenient. So sexual satisfaction digitally, it's more difficult, but justice digitally, it sounds like you're a fan. Yeah, definitely. Okay. <laughs> Glasses half full. Nadia Guo, thank you so much for joining us on the Quillette Podcast. No problem. Thank you for having me. If you would like to support Quillette, please consider becoming a patron. Head to our Patreon page. That's patreon.com forward slash Quillette. If you haven't already, follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Do you like what you're hearing? Perhaps you would like to read more about the issues in today's discussion. Head to quillette.com where you will find more content.